Welcome to the Christian Worship Center podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you. Visit us online at cwcbayarea.com for service times and directions. I'm a firm believer in this, that the, the first introduction we have of Jesus coming is given in the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah prophesies about a virgin being with child. And the introduction that we are given to the coming of Jesus is the name Emmanuel, God with us. The biggest lie the enemy gives to us is that we're all alone. The biggest, the biggest attack that the enemy uses is to try to get you to think that you're all by yourself, that there's no one on your side, that you're doing this by yourself, no one understands what you're going through, tries to isolate you. Just like in the wild, the lion goes after that one gazelle that separates himself from the rest of the pack. If the enemy can get you to feel isolated, he can defeat you. But I want you to know this promise right here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth the son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Say that again. God with us. In fact, change it. Make it personal. God with me. You're not alone. I said you're not alone. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you're not alone. Bow your heads as we pray. Father, help in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. There were some tickets up here that it looks like they're gone. Someone grabbed those already? I guess you did, huh? You weren't that nervous about coming up and grabbing them, huh? <laughs> did chapel service last night for the Atlanta Falcons, and uh, I, just, I, I just don't like going to the games. It's just too crowded, and I'm not a Niner fan, and so... Uh, but uh, we have a, a brother in our church, a huge Niner fan. In fact, part of his name is Niner Rob. And so I wanted to make sure that if I got tickets to a Niner game this year that I gave them to him because I know how much he loves the, loves the team. And, um, you know, I love seeing other people's dreams come true. And so I love the fact that you're going to. But if, if they win, bro, just don't, just don't, just don't rub it in, okay? Just uh, let's be cool. <laughs> do your dance. Do your homie dance again. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Matthew chapter 28, we open up the book of Matthew with the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. And then we close out the book of Matthew. In Matthew 28, you don't need to turn there. It'll be on the screen for you. Verse 20 that says this. Teach these new disciples, Jesus speaking, to obey all the commandments I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even into the end of the age. Someone, someone needs to grab a hold of that right now. The book opens with the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. Then it closes by Emmanuel literally telling you that I am with you always. I will always be with you in the mountaintops or in the valley low, in the good times and the bad times, when you got money in the bank and when you're dead broke, when you're happy or when you're sad, when things are good or when things are bad. No matter what you go through in life, I will always be Emmanuel in your life. I will always be God with you. God is with you this morning. I need you to understand that the Christmas season reminds us, the birth of Christ reminds us that you're not alone. 
that the whole reason for the birth, the whole reason for the cradle was for God to remind all of mankind is that you are not alone. I am with you this morning. And the enemy wants you to get, wants to get you to think that you're alone. But I want you to understand something. You cannot divorce the cross from the cradle. You cannot divorce the cross from the cradle. Those things are, are married. The very fact that Jesus came as a baby was because he came to die as a savior. The very fact that he came. And I can imagine the conversation that God has with, with in heaven as the Trinity's talking about, hey, we're going to create a world and we're going to develop human beings. And these human beings are going to turn their back on us. They're going to break their, 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 their uh, covenant with us. And so we're going to have to redeem them. And so we have to have a plan in place before before we even create mankind that will turn their back on us to redeem them, to bring redemption in order to restore relationship with them. And I can imagine in that meeting Jesus standing up and saying, Father, don't worry about it. I got this. I'll go down and I'll take care of whatever needs to be done. He says, but you're going to have to go as one of them. You can't go as God. You're going to have to go disguised as one of them. You're going to have to be stuck inside a belly of a young lady for over nine months. You're going to have to be pushed out that birth canal. And you're not going to be born in a palace. You're going to be born in a lonely major. You're not going to go to the rich. You're going to go to the poor. You're going to be found around animals in a place of disgust. But I need you to understand that it's in the stables of life that you find the glory of God. It's in your troubles of life that you end up running into who God is. I want you to notice something that happens here, okay? One without the other is a waste. The cradle and the cross, you can't separate them. But I want you to understand that Emmanuel, everyone say Emmanuel, literally is God's, God in human form. I, I want to do some teaching this morning as I preach as well. But I, I want to tell you, just from my point of view, the greatest miracle... Well, g- give me some miracles that have happened in the Bible that, that impressed you. What was that? Walked on water. That's pretty incredible. Stop the, the, the storm's blowing, and Jesus says, peace be still, then goes back to sleep. That, that's, what was that? Resurrection. That, that's, come on, that's pretty impressive. Now, now, it's one thing to raise a dead man to life, but you're the one that's raising yourself and you're dead. That's pretty impressive. What else? Water. Come on, bro. Really? John, that's to be the men's home, bro. Water to wine, man. Uh, at least it, they're in the back. Turning Saul into Paul, that, that transformation from Saul to Paul, amen. Yeah, and he, he multiplied it where he takes two fishes and five loaves and feeds 5,000 men, and, and not including women and children. Some say as many as 15,000 people. Let me, let me tell you this. As impressive as all those things are, to me, the greatest miracle of all was when Jesus came in the form of a baby. How can flesh contain God? The moment Mary pushed and bared down and that child came out, I'm surprised the flesh didn't melt off that child's body. Because the glory of God that was inside, the deity, the Godship, 
who God was. I'm surprised that even when Jesus walked as a child, that literally when, when he was walking through, that the glory of God just, just didn't explode through him because he was containing. He was 100% God and 100% man. And I'm surprised that as he hung on the cross and as they whipped him, beat him, as they cursed him, that literally that the power of God didn't just, his eyes just didn't explode and the glory of God come out of him. The very fact that Jesus was able to, that the flesh was able to contain God, to me, is the greatest miracle of all. Let me explain that to you because that miracle goes on each and every day, every time you allow God to come live in your life. And when you allow God to come into your life, I'm surprised that the glory of God in you doesn't destroy the flesh around you. You see, the greatest miracle of all is Emmanuel, God with us. But even more than that, God in us. Let me take you somewhere. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 1 real quick. Let's do a little, little exploration here this morning. John chapter 1, for those of you that know the word, already know the scripture, even without us turning there. But in John chapter 1, it says this. Verse 1. In the beginning. Everyone say beginning. beginning. Now, understand this. Where's the last time we heard in the beginning? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning. First thing God created was not the heavens and the earth. The first thing God created was beginnings. Time. First thing God created was time. The thing that he established before anything else was a beginning. Because God had no beginning, God has no end. That just boggles the mind. That, that, that you can go back a million years and God is there. You can go back two million years and God is there. That, that God has no beginning, God has no end. That's what makes him God. No one, no one created him. No one uh, established him. No one said, okay, you got the title, God. You graduated to the position of God. In the beginning was the... And uh, the, or in the beginning, the word already existed, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, I want you to understand this. That word, word, is the, the, the Greek word logos. That word means word, subject matter, thing, expression, a statement, a declaration, a speech, a message, or a proclamation. It's a way of, of communicating. That word, word, literally means an expression. And so when we talk, what I'm doing right now is I'm giving you logos, I'm speaking logos to you. I'm giving words. But every so often, that logos will hit something that I'll say will hit your spirit, and that will change from a logos word to a rhema word. A rhema word is a logos word for right now. It becomes something that applies to your life in that moment that you're going through, and that normal word that you've always heard all of a sudden becomes life. It becomes like a light goes on, and it now all of a sudden brings clarity to your life. And so the logos becomes rhema. It becomes life to you when all of a sudden it's illuminated for that situation that you're going through. Jesus is the word, the logos. And what's so important is this. In verse 14 of chapter 1 of John, it says this, and the word became, what? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I want you to understand this. this. This blows me away. My mind has a hard time wrapping itself around this. Jesus Christ is the embodiment. He is the totality. He is the, he, he is the incarnate representation of all the 
thoughts, the expressions, the uh, communication, the, the ideas of God. God has a thought. If, if God, have you, you ever talked to someone and you try to get them to explain to you what they had in mind and they have a hard time explaining it? God tried to communicate to us who he is. Instead of trying to speak it all like he wrote it out in the word, he says, listen, you know what? Let me just show you. So he sent Jesus. Jesus, you want to know what God thinks about anything in life. You want to know what God thinks about money? You want to know what God's ideas are about sickness? You want to know what God's ideas are about marriage? You want to know what God's ideas are about women, about kids? You want to know what God's ideas are about greatness? You want to know what God's ideas are about life, about addictions, about poverty, about riches? You want to know what God's idea are on anything? Just look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the fullness. Come on, somebody. Jesus is the totality. He is the embodiment of all the thoughts, of all the ideas, of all the expressions, of all the statements, of all the declarations, of all the sermons, of all the ideas. If you want to know what God is thinking, just look at Jesus. Come on, somebody give God praise. I want you to understand why was it important for God to send Jesus in the flesh? Because from the beginning, this was God's plan. And Jesus serves as a perfect example. Now, as you turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, I want, I want you to understand something. Jesus serves as the perfect example as a life that is surrendered to the Father. Okay? He, he's the model. He's what we should all aspire to. We look at Jesus and think, there's no way we could ever But that's not what Jesus came to do, is to tell you, you'll never reach my level. That's not what God intended. Jesus intended for us to look at him and say, I could do that. Say it again, pastor. You're not, religious folks are like, oh, that's sacrilegious, pastor. What did he say? Greater things than these shall you do because I go into the Father. Every good father wants his children to excel even beyond him. Oh, come on. You you need to grab a hold of this this morning. We've looked at Jesus as as a, a level that we'll never reach to, never aspire to. But what Jesus did when he walked on earth in the book of Philippians chapter 2, take a look at this. You must have the same attitude that Jesus has. This in lies the problem. We, we don't have the same attitude Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Another version puts it this way, that he laid aside his godly attributes. Follow me on this. And he took the humble position of a slave as being born of a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. I want you to grab, just get this picture right now. Jesus left everything. He's God. He wasn't created in the cradle. He was there at the foundations of the earth. He was the one that served as the model that God used to form out Adam from the clay. 
You were fashioned after the design of Christ. And then there was the Holy Spirit's breath that blew into Adam to give him life. So the Trinity was all present at the very beginning of the earth. Jesus is shown throughout the expression of the Old Testament that wherever you see an angel, what something called the angel of the Lord, and it receives worship from human beings, that was Jesus pre-incarnate before he came in flesh. Because any angel that receives praise would always stop and say, no, 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 that's only for God. But as you read throughout the Old Testament, every so often, like the angel that shows up with Joshua with his sword drawn, this isn't a weak little Jesus that we're thinking about. This is the angel of the Lord, sword drawn, flame of fire, standing there ready to go to battle to take the promised land. And Joshua walks up to him and says, are you for us or against us? God says, listen, there's only one side. That's my side. He says, take your feet off because the ground you're standing on is holy. He takes his feet off and he worships the angel of the Lord. That's Jesus pre-incarnate. That's that's the mighty God we serve. He humbled himself. He humbled. You're not catching this. He stepped off the throne of glory. He stepped off the throne of the universe that spoke a word and it came into order. He laid aside according that word and it's a, the, Greek, the Greek word kenosis. He laid aside, he emptied himself of his omniscience, his omnipresence and his omnipotence. He laid the, he made a choice. He said this, I'm not going to use those powers. I'm not going to use those things because I'm coming in the form of man to win again so that once again, Again, my children, my people can once again have me not only dwell with them, but dwell in them. He laid aside. If Jesus walked on water as God, he cheated. If he raised Lazarus from the dead as God, he cheated. But he laid aside those attributes. How did he do it? The Holy Spirit. He relied on the Spirit of God for everything that he did. If Jesus, if the Son of God relied on the Holy Spirit in order to perform miracles, to get through life, to get to new levels, what makes you think you're going to get through life trying to do it on your own? I don't get it. I got this. I don't need God. Really? You got it that you, you, you got that much together. That's why Jesus says, I go to the Father so that I can send you a comforter. Another comforter. Because he carried the wholeness of the Holy Spirit with him. If Jesus stays, we, we get Jesus, but we don't get the Spirit of God. But by Jesus going, that Holy Spirit's now available to all of us. That word kenosis, and uh, take a look at this. Kenosis means he laid aside his deity. Now listen, he never stopped being God. He just laid aside the use of his knowing all things. How do I know that? Remember the story of the fig tree? He gets to the fig tree and there's no figs on it. And he's disappointed. If he was God and he knew all things, he knew there were no figs by the time he got there. 
And he gets upset, so he curses the tree. And the tree ends up dying from the roots up. See, Jesus never dealt with the fruit. He always dealt with the root. We keep trying to change the fruit. God deals with the root. He stopped using his abilities as God, and he went through life as a human being. Everything depended on the Holy Spirit. Look at this. Verse 15 of chapter 14 of the book of John. If you love me, obey my commandments. And, if, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Everyone say advocate. Who will never leave you. Now, if you've ever been incarcerated or found yourself in the court system, you know what an advocate is. Advocate's your best friend. He's the one you rely on. He's your lawyer. He's the one that stands in the gap, talks to the judge on your behalf, speaks on your behalf, is trying to get you off, is trying to help you out. He is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it's not looking for him, doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you and later on will be... Oh, come on, church. Right now, he's with you. I, I, I can feel him. He's with me. But what I'm about to do, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. And because of my blood, it's going to make you right again to where he's not just going to be with you, hang out and be your buddy. He's going to be in you. He's going to be inside of you. You're not going to have to carry him with you. He's going to carry you. He says, because he lives with you now and later, We'll be, in other words, he's telling you, get ready. Get ready. It's about to get good. It's about to get good. You think you're, what you're going through, it's about to get, I'm about to do something you ain't even going to imagine right now. He's with you right now, but he's about to be in you. That advocate is parakletos in the Greek. And I want you to understand this. Brother Dave, come on up. I want you to see that word is properly summoned someone that called aside, especially to be one's aid or one comforter. As a helper, it means universally one who pleads another's cause as an intercessor. As a lawyer, it's one who pleads another's cause before a judge, pleading a counselor for defense, legal assistant, and then in battle, stand back to back. In battle, a paraclete in the Roman military was someone that whenever you found yourself overrun, you always had your paraclete with you. That one guy, that one person you could count on, that this is where the term, I got your back, comes from. Because you would go to battle, I got the people here, you got the people here. And we're going to take care, I'm, I'm going to just stay on your back. We're going to fight and we're going to lean back to back as we fight until we defeat our enemies. The Holy Spirit got your back. Yeah. He's got your back. He's, he's there with you. The problem is, if the worship team would come, the problem is, is that when tough times come, we often miss out on the fact that God is still with you. Because while I'm battling here, all I see are my enemies. And I forget who has my back. 
My focus becomes the battle that I miss out who's fighting for me. God is fighting for us. I'm just saying it. Mark chapter 6, verse 48, as I close this morning. Jesus, my sister in the back, gave that, talked about the feeding of the 5,000. Right after that miracle, immediately after that miracle, Jesus tells the disciples, get in the boat. Go to Bethsaida. Go to the other side. They're like, we want to stay with you. The Bible says he made them because they didn't want to go. How many know you just got done serving all them things? You were, you were moving. Hey, man, did you see me? I was, I was moving with them fish sandwiches. I was kicking them out. My line was heck along, and I was down to a crumb, and I made that thing work. After you have a move of God, you, you just want to stay in that, that place. You don't want to go anywhere. But Jesus never celebrated those things. There was always moving to something next. He never wanted them to camp out in a memorial of just what God had done. He wanted them to look on what was next. Some of us, we, we celebrate our victories too long. Or we mourn our defeats too long. Jesus tells them, get in the boat. No, we want to stay here. People are still around here. and they're, 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 They want to take selfies with us. They want to post that, that I made them a sandwich. They, they want, you know, I got all kinds of followers on Instagram now because of what I just did. And Jesus, get in the boat. Go to the other side. And they go. They get in the boat and they start going to the other side. Then Jesus goes by himself, climbs up the mountain. And he begins to pray by himself. And as he's praying, he looks up. Now, according to the word, they got into the boat before the sun went down. Say it's summertime. Daylight savings. Let's say 8 o'clock. We're going really late. 8 o'clock. He sends them in the boat and they go. After he prays, he gets up and he looks and he sees the boat is only halfway across the lake. A storm has risen up and waves have kicked up and they've been struggling to get to the other side. They're pressing, they're pushing, they're trying to get, but the waves are against them. Have you ever tried to get to where God told you to go? only to find opposition keeping you from getting there? And then you begin to complain. It was better on the other side. Man, I, I just performed a miracle on the shore. I should have never left the shore. I should have stayed over there. I shouldn't have listened to Jesus. I shouldn't have gotten in the boat. I should have stayed on the shore where everyone was calling my name and they were struggling. And Jesus watches them. He watches them struggle until what the Bible calls the third watch. Between three to six in the morning, he watches them, if my math is correct, nine, 10, 11, 12, one, two, three. He watches them for at least seven hours. 
But what did he go to the mountain to do? He's not just watching them think, a bunch of knuckleheads. Man, they're never going to get to the other side. No. Like an advocate, I'm praying strength for you. You can make it through this storm. This storm's not going to defeat you. I already set the GPS for your life, and I told you to get to the other side. That wind may hold you back, but it's not going to keep you from your destination. This is just a speed bump on your destiny, on your journey. God's the one that determined it. And as they're struggling, then he does something else. There's no boat for him. So he takes a stroll. Waves are crashing, wind is blowing. And Jesus goes walking on the lake. That would have been such a trip just to walk with him. He said, there's no boat, I'm just going to walk. And the reason he does this isn't just because it was convenient to walk across the lake. It's because his disciples were struggling in the storm. He only used his abilities in order to meet the needs of his people. So he comes walking. Now follow me on this, okay? And he saw that they were in serious trouble. Rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. And about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came walking towards them. Walking on the water. What's that last part say? That sucks. I've been struggling for seven, eight hours here in the you told me to get in this boat. I'm struggling. Now you come walking on the water and you're gonna pass me by? In fact, your plan was to pass me by? It's not the God of grace that we always hear about. I want you to capture this because this is probably the most important point of your life right now that I'm about to reveal to you here. And he would have passed them by. When they first see him, they panic, thinking it was an evil spirit. It's a trip how we could believe that evil can be in the storm but God can't. Jesus comes walking by the boat. They're, they're focused. They're going. They're going. And he would have passed them by had they not recognized him. Had they not looked for him. I'm here to submit this to you right now. That in the midst of your storms, God is always there. He was always there. 
The problem is we are so focused in on our storm and we are so focused in on the waves and we're so focused in on progress that we have not lifted up our eyes from the wind and the waves to see Jesus is just off the boat. He's just off to the left or to the right. You're so focused in on your problems, you're not even looking for the slim possibility that God could be in the middle of the very thing that you are cursing. God is in the very midst of that very thing. When they see him, they call him. One version puts it this way. The moment Jesus stepped his foot into the boat, it says immediately. Someone say immediately. Immediately they were at their destination. They go from halfway struggling for seven, eight hours, not able to make any advancement to the moment Jesus gets in the boat. Miraculously, immediately, they cover the other distance. Boom, they're there. I'm here to tell you, you've been struggling in your marriage, struggling in your business, struggling in your, your, your addiction, trying to make headway. You're pushing, and you're not, it's not that you're lazy. You're putting in effort. The problem is you're doing it without Jesus being in your boat. He would have passed them by. Why are they panicking? I need you to understand. Don't panic if a storm or crisis or a battle arises against you because your destination's been set. Jesus told him to get in the boat. In fact, in verse 45, he says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. L listen. Your GPS has been set. God has already determined your GPS. Your destination, your destiny has already been determined. It's already been established. Don't trip if you got some roadblocks, some bumpy roads, or some wind and so forth. When the winds start blowing to the point where you get scared, slow down and look for Jesus. Look for Jesus, because he promised me, promised you, that I am Emmanuel, God with you, and I will never leave you or forsake you, and I will be with you even into the end of the age. Stand to your feet with me this morning. Romans chapter 8, let me close with this scripture. I want to encourage you right now. I want you to tell your neighbor or someone around you, you're going to get to the other side. Going to get to the other side. Going to get there. When my daughter got sick with leukemia, I remember the first Sunday I was back at the, in the pulpit in Manteca. I remember standing before the congregation that Sunday and I preached a message that we will get to the other side. 
whether like the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and we walk through on dry ground where God opens up the Red Sea and we walk on dry ground, or whether like the priest we have to stand in the middle of the Jordan River and get a little wet before the water opens up, or like the spies we have to swim across the water to get there to see what's going on. Whether I walk through on dry ground, whether I get a little wet, or whether I have to dive all the way in and swim to get to the other side, I'm getting to the other side. And so are you. I am convinced of this, that nothing will ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither fears today or worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below or indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's with you. He's with me. He's in you. He's in me. Bow your heads right now. Thank you for downloading this message. For more information on our church, visit us at cwcbayarea.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash cwcbayarea.